Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to episode number five. Today, we are going to talk to Mark about uh, the power of clarity. Now, this is going to be a two-part series, so episode five and number six are going to distill and really explain what the power of clarity is. So, Mark, this is the cornerstone of Nepsis, right? So let's talk about what do you mean by the power of clarity and how are we going to break this puppy down? Great question. Number one, uh, probably a good idea to give the definition of Nepsis to start. And it really is, of course, the impetus of uh, my passion for what I do and why I do it. Nepsis is a Greek word, which means to be watchful, alert, and vigilant with a clear and sober mind against illusions and fear, thus allowing one to obtain ultimate clarity. And to specifically answer your question, I believe that in the investment world, there is a serious problem with Nepsis. There is no clarity. And the ind- because of that, the industry is, uh, for a lack of a better phrase, reducing investments and investing to the ridiculous. Hmm. Just buy index funds, do it cheap, Mm -hmm. and you will be successful. And we completely disagree with that philosophy. And I love the fact your whole philosophical underpinnings of the company is is for people to understand that they can understand it, right? The uh, reduction to the ridiculous uh, is because investment companies – Big Wall Street firms want you to believe that it's too complicated. And yes, there's a level of complexity here, but through Nepsis, through knowing what you own and why you own it, you feel that that's something attainable, correct? Correct, without question. So I agree completely with what you're saying about Wall Street. You know, the idea of making it difficult, making investing difficult for people to understand, of course, then warrants the idea that you need an advisor, you need a guide, because the guide is going to help you understand your investments, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is that many, of course, not all, Matt, but many financial advisors actually don't know as much as they should about investing and therefore rely on theories to help them uh, guide clients which doesn't necessarily solve the problem investors have with clarity. And so the idea of Nepsis, knowing what you own and why you own it, becomes a cornerstone belief. And the way you achieve that is by the way we manage money. Mm -hmm. And it is different. It is uh, somewhat unique, but it's also not as popular as people think. I have heard many theories in the time that I've been doing this, and I'm sure our listeners have you know, all, all you have to do is turn on CNBC or, you know, pick yes. up the journal and you're going to hear a new theory. Let's talk about those theories. What what are some of the theories that you've heard? And then let's talk about your theory. Sure. Well, the most popular theory I believe that financial advisors use is what's called modern portfolio theory and modern portfolio theory also referred to as MPT. 
uh, is really a process that got a gentleman by the name of Harry Markowitz, an honorable Nobel Prize in economics, I believe, back in 1991, if I remember correct. And it's the idea of you own the market. And uh, this is where it gets really complicated, I think, for some people. There's a dichotomy. You own the market. And the way you own the market is you diversify your assets between small, mid, and large cap stocks. You buy value stocks. You buy growth stocks. And by the way, I love when people (laughs) try to explain the difference between value and growth or when they ask me, what's the difference between a value stock and growth stock? My response is nothing. I want to buy something on value that will grow and make you money. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't understand the concept of value stocks and growth stocks. Uh, uh, now, uh, the industry, of course, Matt, says value stocks are, quote, unquote, stocks that trade at a discount to their peers or stocks that trade at a discount to the market. That's all relative. At the end of the day, uh, there are stocks with huge valuations that have been great investments over time. And so that in itself is complicated, and that's probably a show for another show. But bottom line is Markowitz's theory is, and what a lot of advisors will do, is they'll put people in mutual funds and ETFs between small, mid, and large cap stocks, growth and value. They'll buy some, sprinkle some international, some emerging markets, some real estate, some corporate bonds, high yield, blah, blah, blah. And you end up owning thousands of companies in your portfolio, i.e. you end up owning the market. And I believe that one of the things that's happening in the industry is that investors are saying, you know what, I can do that on my own. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the cost of ETFs now, I can go call Vanguard or I can go call Fidelity or call someone else and say, you know what, just set me up with an allocation on index funds, put X percent in this, X percent in that, and X percent in that, and do it themselves, and I'm just going to own the stock market. Mm -hmm. Frankly, that's not investing. We believe that Hmm. there are significant problems with that over time. And one of them, of course, as I alluded to a minute ago, Matt, is the idea that investors hire an advisor to guide them, to Mm -hmm. be their guide, to advise them on doing the right things. But ironically, why is it statistically that investors continue to buy at market highs and sell at market lows? What causes investors to do this? Now, in modern portfolio theory, we believe, certainly there are studies that back this up, that a portfolio, by doing this, is actually over-diversified. And what's more important is not necessarily the diversification, although it is, but what is more important and what we see investors significantly lacking in that is asset allocation. And they're two very different things. Well, <clears throat> I want you to break that down because I think you just really hit on a, a nerve that uh, is what separates Nepsis from, from the, the run-of-the-mill advisor down the street. Well, here's the thing. So when you think about investing, most investors view investing as I invest in the stock market. You know, people will ask, do you invest in the stock market? Or they'll say, I'm invested in the stock market. You don't invest in the stock market, Matt. The stock market is exactly that. It is a market. A market is where you go to buy and sell things. Mm-hmm. This, is con- this is reducing it to the ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you go to a market to buy and sell goods and services. You go to a stock market to buy stocks or sell stocks. 
you don't invest in the stock market. You invest in businesses. And in light of the technology and the Internet, I mean, I've heard people say over and over again, you know, I know just enough to be dangerous. I know a lot of people that know way too much and they're extremely dangerous (laughs) because they because you get to this point where you get overload on information and you do, and, and then you, 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 you get frozen. You don't know what to do and where to go. And it still does not address – modern portfolio theory, Matt, does not address what we believe is the most common, biggest problem with investors that will be very, very difficult to fix. Which is? emotions okay and i love okay so when you were talking about the the buy high sell low there is some some really nice research out there on the cycle of investor emotions so let's let's uh, please unpack that for us yeah so there's lots of psychological studies out there on this right you know in terms of investor behavior uh there's a lot of different emotional positions that investors will go through as it pertains to their emotional position. There have been studies that have been done. One I've heard is that um, investors feel five times more pain when they're losing money than when they're actually making money. So they actually expect to be making money, right? Uh, but when they're not making money, they there's an emotional position that sets in. And what why is that emotional position set in? We believe that the reason that happens is that investors don't have control over their investments. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they own and why they own it. And so therefore they find themselves in a position of how do I react when I see myself losing money? So this emotional position that investors have, um, and by the way, lot, you can, you know, advisors, investors who tune into the podcast here can certainly go and Google, you know, behavioral finance and, there's a lot of different types of behavioral characteristics. Of course, you've probably heard of loss aversion, mm-hmm. anchoring, uh, familiarity bias. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of them, right? And this is for another show, obviously, on the behavioral side of this. But the bottom line is investors are emotional. Now, here's what's interesting, and this is just a, an opinion. As you can tell, I'm a little passionate about this. <laughs> um, y- y- there's a big push for people to buy index funds. Mm-hmm. And like anything else, things are cyclical in nature. And index, uh, fun, you know, it's the debate of index funds versus active management, right? And the industry, uh, there's a there's a there's there's a several things that are happening in the industry right now. One is there is a race to the bottom on fees, the cost of managing the money, mm-hmm. and we refer to that as in the absence of value, thus it becomes cost. Mm-hmm. If you're not providing me value, Mr. Advisor or Mrs. Advisor, why am I paying you this fee? I might as well just go buy the low-cost ETF. What value are you providing me in my investments? The second thing is that the industry, the financial services industry, is pushing investors into index funds. And I believe this is a function of the fact that we haven't seen a lot of volatility in the last seven years. In fact, according to an old study by Morningstar, a 20% correction happens once every five years. We pulled back about 19% in 2011. 
we have not seen a 20% pullback since 2009. Right. Volatility has been minimal. So what does this mean? Why do I say all this? And how do you bring this all back to the importance of clarity and the importance of emotional behavior? Investors, by nature, like status quo. Uh, most investors like things to just prod along. They don't like to face things that can make them uncomfortable, particularly as it pertains to their invest investments. So while the market's just kind of prodding along, I'll just buy the indexes because it's cheaper. And active managers, well, they don't do as well as the index. So then you get investors comparing their portfolio to the S&P 500 or the Dow. I mean, this is a complicated – I mean, I had a guy on the phone the other day, Matt. He's, he wants to compare his portfolio to the S&P 500. Of course. For 18 years, I've managed his money. I said, we're a global money manager. You can't compare it to the S&P 500. Right. And he says, well, how do I know if you're doing well or not? And I said, well, number one, you're making money. Mm -hmm. You're making lots of money. Number two, your goal should be that you're making money that's going to help you accomplish the financial planning goals. Well, ironically, Matt, this is where this gets really interesting. The guy said this year, he said, not the S&P 500, he said the Dow. He said, I, you know, I've told you I want to compare my portfolio to the Dow. And I said, actually, no, you've always said the S&P 500. This is the first year you said the Dow. And he said, well, well, uh, the Dow, the S&P, they're all the same. <laughs> I said, no, they're no, not. they're not. Now, do you think you know why he wanted to use the Dow this year instead of the S&P 500? Because of the performance. Because the Dow's higher than the S&P. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> such selective, uh, <clears throat> you know, comparisons, huh? That, that's yeah, selective indexing. I, I mean, everybody wants their cake and eat it too. Why is that? It's a behavioral characteristic, mm -hmm. right? So when you think, I mean, I've, oh, I've, I've listen. I've given you a lot of trails to go down here, but the bottom line is that the emotional predisposition of an investor during volatile periods can become tormenting. And he, mm -hmm. I will tell you, the same exact thing happened in 1999. After two or three years of the market <clears throat> pounding investors to buy the S&P 500, mm -hmm. the S&P 500 got extremely overvalued. All this money was in S&P index funds, and it peaked in 2000. And, of course, long-term investors know the rest is history because the valuations got through the roof. Right. And that is a function of investors not understanding not only what they own and why they own it, but even how an index works while they're pouring all their money into them. I want to rewind very quickly to this idea of knowing what you own. So right. with people saying that, well, you know what, Matt, it's, it's fantastic. I, I'm just going to own the S&P or I'm going to own the Dow or I'm going to own the FTSE or whatever, right? Uh, yep. I'm going to buy the index funds. When you at Nepsis talk about investing with clarity, when you're talking about the clarity of what you own, that changes the way that people view the market. And I wish we could somehow uh, amplify the word market every time we say it because right. it really is a marketplace. When you go to a farmer's market, you're checking for quality, right? You're checking for yep. selection, and you're also checking yep. for value, right price. What, why don't people look at the marketplace, the, the stock market, as just like going to the farmer's market? Well, you're, you're – I mean you just hit it right down the middle. Uh, that's exactly right. Why don't they? Well, I think there's several reasons why. I think number one in the day and age where there's so much information, people are overwhelmed. Uh, one of the terms that we like to use here is 
getting back to the basics. Let me give you a really interesting statistic. 50 years ago, stocks were held for an average of eight years. Today, they're held for only eight months. Whoa. Now, the, the, the investment philosophy of Nepsis is the idea that successful investing is about investing in great businesses over time. Now, you can argue that many mutual funds and ETFs do the same thing. A mutual fund man and different managers have different strategies, right? But at the end of the day, Matt, the bottom line is that, you know, a mutual fund may use that philosophy and strategy. Peter Lynch comes to mind, mm -hmm. the famed uh, Fidelity Magellan Fund Manager, who said, you know, invest in what you know. Invest in what you know. One of the things I used to tell people during the oil, when oil was going to 150 bucks, people would be complaining about gas prices. And I said, do you know how you resolve that? They said, no. I said, go buy oil stocks. Mm -hmm. You hedge your position. When people complain about insurance, cost of insurance, go buy the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the problem is that we live in a day and age of instant gratification. We're on our cell phones, taking selfies, looking at Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everything else. We want immediate results. And so the world we're living in right now has much different expectations. It's the whole turtle, it's the old turtle and the hare theory, right? Slow and steady wins the race. Mm -hmm. But it still does not resolve the issue that when that next big correction comes, and it will, what percentage of investors will be pounding the phone on their advisors? What do I do now? What do I do now? And they're going to hear the same thing they've always heard. We've got a plan. You've got to write it out. That's right. Volatility is going to be there, but you've got to write it out. Right. But isn't volatility the greatest opportunity to take advantage of things on sale? So why don't we? Right. Well, it's because most advisors want to keep you 100% invested in the market so they can charge fees on it and they don't have cash available to take some of these bargain opportunities or they're afraid to take bargain opportunities because then they're going to be challenged that they're timing the market. Now, I'm being hardcore devil's advocate with you there. Yep, so help, help me with that. You're not timing the market. And we call it time in in the investment, not timing in investment. I tell investors 100% of the time when we make an investment in a business for you, we're looking at it longer term, and we're never going to buy it at the low. You're never going to buy an investment at its absolute low. You're not. Mm -hmm. But this is where flexibility comes into play in the investment process. Remember, we covered in one of our previous podcasts the four keys to successful investing, your investment philosophy, strategy, flexibility, and transparency. Mm -hmm. The flexibility and transparency component are the behavioral aspects of investing. Now, when someone like uh, a client says something like you just said, here's what we say to them. Look, your portfolio is like a cake or it's like an automobile. There are lots of pieces that make that cake or make that car run. And if you're missing one component of that, the car may not start or the cake may come out flat. What does that mean? That means that every position owned in a client portfolio is owned for a very specific reason 
to accomplish a very specific goal over time. In other words, a portfolio should have and does have a lot of moving parts. And when you have an automobile with lots of moving parts, what do you do with your automobile occasionally? You tune it up. That's right. And you do the same thing in your portfolio. We call that, of course, we've talked about before, strategic cost averaging. Mm -hmm. Strategically, continually investing in a business when it goes on sale. Let me give you one real quick example. We own stock, um, which, of course, we won't mention. We started buying the stock at 37, went to 45, went from 45 to 31. Okay? Hmm. This all happened in a three-month period. Wow. Okay? Now, no client even noticed it because the size of the position in the portfolio didn't impact the overall portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. But today, uh, the stock is at 57 after hitting 65 about a month ago. This has all happened in the last six months. Hmm. The power of volatility and the power of clarity, the ability to understand what you own and why you own it, is what enables you to do what we think is the most important thing, sticking to the knitting, sticking to the plan. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to have a good year every year. You're going to have good years and bad years. But the ability, Matt, to have the flexibility and transparency to talk to the advisor through what is happening during those fearful times allows the advisor to step up in a period of leadership. And that is where you will differentiate yourself from other advisors. And I think for part one, the power of clarity, I think that was an amazing closing statement. So part two, which is going to be episode number six, we're going to continue with the power of clarity, but we're going to dive deeper into what you own, why you own it. We're going to talk about risk, which is something that I know that a lot of our listeners hear about a lot. And then also, I love what you said there about owned for a reason for a specific goal. So in number in, in episode number six, part two of The Power of Clarity, we're going to unpack each of those. So, Mark, thank you for your brain today, man. Thank you. Great to be with you. All right. And stay tuned for episode six very, very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Napsus Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. 